Hi, everyone. Welcome to another Orthopod. I have here uh, the pleasure of introducing a friend and colleague of mine, um, Carlos Liel. Carlos Liel is an orthopedic surgeon, a professor of orthopedics, currently working uh, in Bogota, Colombia. His accolades go far, far, far and far between. He's traveled the world, has worked in many of the most prestigious institutions, has a regenerative practice uh, scientific program as well, a very large stem cell program, but more importantly, also is just someone who's clinically active in both sports uh, and knee and, and many other aspects of orthopedic surgery. Beyond that, he also works in both a private and a public system, and I think has many, many insights as to what's happening. Carlos, thank you so much for taking a bit of time with us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure and honor to be uh, within this uh, very important group that you've been talking to all over the world. So uh, it's great. It's great. Let's uh, let's give a, a little so talk here. Okay. So let's chat about, uh, and I wish we were chatting on better terms in terms of what's happening in the world. Last time you and I met uh, in Mexico, we were in Chihuahua specifically. None of this, none of this was happening. We had a very different vision of what our future was going to be like. And in a short right. few months, life has transformed itself. How has life changed for you in your practice? Oh, dramatically. Uh, we were together at the beginning of the year and things were right. developing and we didn't right. even know about that. Right. Um, everything changed. Uh, we're not ready for this. We're dealing with a constant changing environment here and there. We're doing our best trying to understand things. Um, and as you said, I work both at the university hospital and the board of directors and then in my private practice and everything changed so much. All of a sudden, everything became... Uh, a pandemic and uh, yeah. fortunately enough we have a government that paid attention to scientists and stopped uh, moving around and started quarantine and confination at the same time that you had like a hundred uh, or a thousand deaths in Europe right so uh, the numbers are pretty good so but uh, it really did change everything I mean the patient care I have not being able to do a surgery in 50 days. Um, we're confined in terms of uh, regulations. We're confined in terms of uh, patients moving around. Even though I have like, uh, I mean, I'm allowed to move around because I'm a doctor and I can go to the hospital, uh, patients won't come. And uh, we're, we're kind of ready for everything. But as the good thing is that in Colombia, the big impact has not been that tough like in Europe or in the States. You know, we have... 40 million people, which is basically the same population as Canada. Yeah. And probably the same size of California with the same 40 million people that California has. You know, Canada has, uh, I don't know how much, like a million something uh, square kilometers, in, no, 11 million. And we have mm -hmm. 1 million and California has 500. And we only have uh, 700 deaths and 21,000 uh, uh, infected people, which is, 20, 25% of what you have in Canada or they have in That's California. Right. So That's measures right. are, are pretty good in the moment. So, so what are those measures? So, like, so is it a full lockdown in Colombia? Like what, what's for the last 50 days oh, yeah. has been happening? Like how, how um, stringent has the physical distancing policy been? Are people allowed out in the day or what's been happening? It's, it's very surprising because you say, I mean, you, you uh, even, even you guys out there yeah. up north, you say Colombia, yeah. you imagine this is a very crazy tropical mm. disordered place 
I was surprised. Everybody paid attention. Everybody was like the president and the government came out and said, this is serious. Everybody stay home now. Yeah. And everybody stayed home. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was, it was really something. And, uh, the confinement was pretty tough. And the first, yeah. uh, it, at the beginning it was like for three weeks. Uh, but as you know, then the, the, uh, the movement of these viruses is about 15 to 14 days. So every two weeks yeah. they would go for two more weeks and two more weeks and two yes, more weeks. Yes. It's been two months now. Yes. Um, I mean, everybody, I mean, I've, I've been surprised how the economy has still worked for at least a month. It was okay. Two months yeah. has been tough. For the third month, it will be very, very tough. Yeah. But uh, the confinement was was total. I mean, it was a big quarantine. Nobody could go yeah. out. I, okay. I had to go to my hospital. There was not a car, not a, a guy, not, nobody in the streets. Not, right now, it should be open uh, for 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 many for many uh, industries and some people. But uh, still, we're confined until the thirtieth of May, uh, and I think it will be a bit longer to recover. Okay. And has Colombia closed its borders? I know that one thing that we've heard from others. Oh yeah. Um, you know, we looked. At, we've been talking. You know, docs, as you know, from m multiple parts of the world, and they say the big strategies has been to avoid imports coming in and bringing more infections into the country. So, closing borders, being very strict on that. Has that happened as well? Yes. Yes, no. it has happened, and and we have. At the beginning, you know, the, the first people that were uh, infected, they were coming from Europe, actually, uh, mm -hmm. into Colombia. Our first case was actually in one of our university hospitals. It came from Italy, mm -hmm. was case number one. And that was around the, I would say, 20th of March. Uh, after that, everything was closed. I mean, I was supposed to be in Argentina in a meeting, and I would probably be there still in Patagonia, which is not that bad, but yeah, I mean, right, right, when right. you have a pandemic, you want to be home with your family and just yeah. stay there and not be somewhere else. Uh, it was confined and we have more problems with our open borders with our neighbors. I mean, Venezuela is in big trouble uh, economically, politically, and uh, we have 2 million refugees in Colombia. And okay. these people are, many of them are homeless. They don't have to, I mean, they cannot uh, have any measures of social distancing right they cannot have they don't they don't have housing so we we as columbia we have to invest in in big places where they can where they can be and investing in, in bringing them back into venezuela because it's it's a lot cheaper actually for us to to hire hire buses and planes and everything and bring them back if they want that to have more people infected and the other problem is the leticia you know this is a huge country and we have borders down in the amazon and that's the hot place right now for coronavirus. Uh, the Amazon basin is absolutely dangerous right now. There's no control. And we have our, our, our place with more concerns right now is Leticia down by the Amazon River. Really? Okay. So, I mean, what's been, what has been in your mind, the biggest, the biggest um, impediment to you know, uh, you know, your practice right now, is it, I mean, is, I know the lockdown itself is there, yeah. but have there been other big, big shifts for you? Because I know you, you are working on both sides. You're working both in the private and public system. What's for you has been harder hit. Uh, you mentioned patients aren't coming in. Is oh. that the big driver or is it just everything right now? No, this is, this is a thing that has affected everyone. I mean, the only change is the scale. Yeah. My practice, I only have 
eight employees. And I work with my wife and uh, mm -hmm. she's an ophthalmologist and we both work mm -hmm. in regenerative medicine and in clinical medicine. And uh, when you have your, your, your private practice and, and there's an order not to go out in the streets, there's no patients out there, um, it's, it's really tough because you want to keep the jobs. You don't want to fire anyone. You want no. to, I mean, you understand it's not the first time that me, uh, I will be in trouble with the government in, in terms of not paying uh, taxes for a month or not being yeah. able to pay a loan to a bank. But my secretary, my nurse, they live out of the paycheck and I, yeah. I cannot stop that. So yeah. uh, it's tough on that side. And then on the yeah. other side, the major problem for a 450 uh, bed hospital that has been open now for only two years, it's a new hospital. And it's booming, going up all the time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, uh, you find out yourself that you have to just wait for the pandemic to come. You have to wait and have everything ready for a lot of patients. You have to increase the number of your intensive care units. You have to keep everything there, but you're empty. It's, there's no patients because they're, they're, not, they're not coming. You're just getting ready. So we are right now in our hospital with 20, 25% of our occupancy, which means that you're making money only for 20, 25% of the normal uh, month. Uh, but everything is ready there. We've, we have not had more than two or three patients in intensive care unit. We're bringing in some people in to, to help, like these people from Leticia that are coming to Bogota. We're moving them into different hospitals because they don't have intensive care units in the Amazon. Uh, so the impact has been on, on both sides and different levels. When you think about one thing, it's all the other. The good thing about um, the big hospitals, they, they get uh, money from the government. They get loans that are, are easy to manage. They get a lot of financial help. We, we don't. I mean, when you're out there by yourself, only until now, the government is giving us like a, a financial help just to, for, for a payroll to pay our, our, our people yeah. so we don't get a big uh, yeah, void and a big gap in, in employment. Right. But it's been tough on both sides, I guess. Do you see um, things returning to normal in the next year? I mean, like the, the, the people we've been chatting with say, this is not gonna change for 12 months. I mean, getting back to what even considered to be what normal used to be before COVID, getting back to some semblance of that is you know, months, months, if not years away, years meaning at least one to two years, What's yeah. your feeling on this? This year is over. It's Christmas. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I had an interview uh, 35 days ago. Yeah. And they were, I was asked about this. And I said, it's going to yeah. be 18 months. I would yeah. expect some treatment, moderate to good treatment in 2020, and a vaccine in the second semester of 2021. Yeah. yeah. And that was because we have the largest meeting that you can imagine, football medicine, arthroscopy, regenerative medicine, shockwave therapy, everything in October. And this was seven months before that meeting. And I said, I'm canceling that for October, wow. 2021. Wow. People said, you're crazy, don't do that. You can postpone yeah. it. You, there's some things yeah. you can do. I said, it's gonna be 18 months. And yeah. I, I still believe that. I mean, normal, like normal 2018 normal, uh, it, it will be in 2022 probably because things will change forever. We have to yeah. ask everything. I mean, this is like war and yeah. good thing, believe it or not, come after wars, you have really good things that changes 
everything and, 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 and we have to evolve, you know, many, many things, many good things that we've learned from this, you know. The one thing that I've also been struck by, you know, um, are, we just because we've done lots of research in low middle income countries and in my own mindset, and, you know, I've spent many, many years back and forth in India where a big part of the population is rural and very, very vulnerable to any sort of big shifts. I mean, the poor are, yep. are already um, at big challenges when you have situations where, you know, you, you have, you're stuck in a house, you can't make a living. It's yep. even compounded. But from the Amazon psychology and what's happening there, um, the indigenous people of the Amazon, is there a risk of seeing mass, mass, you know, virus spread, killing many, many? I mean, that's a big risk. And then losing a big part of what makes that part of the world so, you know, so vibrant and so important. Uh, because they're, they're at risk, I would think. Many, many things we've learned. I mean, at the beginning, we didn't know how the virus would behave in the tropics. Right. Uh, nobody could understand how you, I mean, the, the behavior of this infection in, the, in Africa was so low. And then uh, maybe because people don't travel that much, but yeah. the world is so small now. But mm -hmm. still you have, like in Colombia, numbers that are favorable. Maybe we have more... Uh, immunologic defenses, we don't know. Um, you know what has happened with the indigenous people in Leticia and in the Amazon basin? Basically, the the white people, the non-indigenous people, uh, the, 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 the rest of the population that is not yeah. native, they have been struck. The indigenous are more, I mean, they're more disciplined. They understand, they're confined, and they close, they close their communities. So um, I, I wouldn't expect to have a lot. I mean, like they'll be wiped out of the, of the earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right, right. But right. Um, they, they, they do take care of themselves and they're survivors and they're very, very tough and they understand they're very, very disciplined within their communities. But I mean, still you have uh, a lot of problems there, but we're having more problems with the movement from, I mean, the, if you go to Leticia one day, it's the largest yeah. river in the world. You, you stand up here, and you see three countries at the same time. So you have Brazil, Peru, and Colombia. And the people are moving. There's no frontiers yeah. and there's no borders here. There's just, just the river. Yeah. That river, everything moves there. So there's no protection there. There's no discipline. There's a lot of smuggling. So it's not easy for these people. There will be trouble. So speaking of Brazil, you know, a neighbor, you're looking and you're seeing what's happening in Brazil. Brazil is a basically almost, it seems from other experts who are looking in on what's happening there, they've missed it. Now it's its just out of control and numbers are escalating, escalating, escalating. And I've heard estimates as high as possibly going up to a million, a million infected. You know, we're getting into the US numbers oh, yeah. very quickly. Oh, yeah. What's Definitely. been your view on what's happening from, you know, from this side saying, you know, how do we learn from that or what can we do differently to avoid that? Well, there are two aspects in there, Mo. One of them is medical and the other one is sociological. And the, the medical aspect, I mean, every every scientist that you put on on these 128 hours a day of news yeah. about COVID, yeah. everybody knows that confinement and uh, and, and staying home is, is and, and on all the quarantine measures may be tough, but those are the ones that really work. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and on the social, social side, then you have governments that decided that the economy was more important. And uh, there are two aspects on that. The very rich, like the United States, and the very poor, like Brazil. And in Brazil, you have a lot of poverty mm -hmm. that you don't have in the States. And both 
both of these governments are in trouble on, on, on two different sides or yeah, aspects right, of the economy, right. social scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happened in Brazil was he, he couldn't afford just to wait uh, for, for the economy to, uh, to be stopped because of, of a virus. And he didn't believe in anything. He didn't believe, or maybe he didn't want to believe in it. And this is something very tough because they, they, they kind of look like it's, it's I mean, it's uh, not important to have 100,000 people de- die, uh, to die mm-hmm. if the economy keeps there. But uh, the truth is that, I mean, if you don't do it, if you don't save your people, you will have the same trouble just that you will have a lot, a lot, a lot more uh, deaths and a lot more confi- um, infected people. You see Sweden, for example. Sweden had the choice because of their education and their system. In Sweden, they said nothing is obligatory. This is the information and you should do it. And if you want to stay home, stay home. If you want to go out, this is what we recommend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nothing really big happened. But if you look, the neighbors like Norway and Finland, they're half yeah. In in in, uh, in 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 infected and in debt. So in Brazil, it just didn't work, and uh, and there's a lot of poverty, and people didn't pay a lot of attention to that. And uh, and believe me, I mean, especially in countries like us or like Africa or South uh, Eastern Asia, you need leaders. You need leaders more than anyone because people need to be directed. Because there's no there's really no discipline and no culture for big discipline. So that happened in Brazil, and unfortunately, it's it's becoming more and more, and it's still growing and affecting the rest of the neighbors around. You know, when you look, Carlos, and I'll I'll end with this um, question to you. I mean, I've had a chance sure. to get to know you, and I know you're a very thoughtful individual. You reflect a lot. Um, you look back at history, and you try to imagine the future. What what has this period of time um, taught you? What have you been reflecting on during this period of time? <sighs> I'm sure there's many things, but is there something that you'd want to share with those viewers who watch uh, these podcasts? And I think in many ways, sure. glean, glean something from hearing other individuals like you speak. <laughs> well, Mo, I was, uh, I mean, I feel sometimes this is an experience pretty close to what I had in intensive care units for 52 days, isolated. The second time in my life that I haven't been working for two or three months because of that, there was medical and this is like huge. Yeah. Um, and then you learn a lot, both in the intensive care unit, just not doing anything but letting people save you. It's about the same now, but as a big world and population. I mean, we're just waiting for someone smart enough to save us, to get us a cure, to to do things. What do we have learned? I mean, I've learned a lot. I mean, I've learned, a, I mean, I've, I've got back to basics in my practice, for example. I, I tell my residents all the time, something that now they're telling me, I know what you're talking about. Because mm-hmm. I say, you have to go to basics, to semiology. When a patient comes in the office and it, he walks and he looks at you and he talks and speaks, and then you have 50% of your diagnosis. And then when you ask the proper questions or you're a good expert, you'll be there like for 70, 75% of a diagnosis before he goes up to the table. Mm-hmm. And then if you do have some some lab tests and images or MRIs or x-rays or whatever, then you, you're almost 90% sure of what he's, I mean, I mean, talking about my specialty in knee surgery. Yes. So I go back to that and I say, well, I'm, I'm only doing 10% with the patient right there. And that ha- I, I've been able to learn from that now and being able to guide people and do some really telemedicine orientation based upon just watching them walk around, telling them, do this, do that. 
Yeah. And I challenged myself, and now I'm, I can almost do one of these beautiful studies that you do, uh, checking my accuracy, and it's pretty good. Right. I'm over 90%. I say, you, I think you have a lateral meniscus posterior horn tear. And then they come with the MRI and say, bingo, you had it. And I didn't see the patient. I cannot wow. operate. I cannot touch him, but I still can direct things from here there. I think that in many ways, um, the, the big change has been this, what we're doing right now. It's a crisis that moved us apart and got us together. At the same time, as a paradox. Uh, we've learned to see things in a different way and not wasting time and things that are not really useful and, and try to understand really the, the feeling and the nature of, of, of the human being and being able to look in the eye and touch and hug and do all those things that, that we're missing right now. We yeah. miss dancing. We miss sitting down and having a, a nice meeting with friends and meeting at 24 international meetings I had to cancel this year. Wow. And, and that's something in academics that really changed us a lot. And we're, I mean, we're sick and tired of, of, of the webinars. There are four or five webinars a day. And you have to choose here and there and, and really reject what you don't want. And everybody's doing everything. The industry changed. Industry is doing more things and then participating less with societies. And uh, we have to reinvent the university. We have to close probably our university in, in many ways because we're going to have 40, 50% less students this yeah. next semester. Yeah. So it's, it's a big impact. And there's so many things that I think that are going to come from this. The thing that I, I recall you saying that we're at a war, uh, but sometimes very good things can come from a very terrible situation. And I yes. think what you're doing is just really rethinking about going back to the things that uh, we sometimes take for granted, which is you have innate ability to communicate. And when you communicate meaningfully with the patient, as you're describing, you can often tell their story without them knowing it, and you know their story, and you can often be quite predictive, which is really, really a um, an important message because I think we sometimes lose sight of yes. some of the things we, and maybe this is forcing us to do that now, you know, in a different Everything way. Everything is upside down. Yeah, I it's live out of, I live out yeah, of town. I yeah. live 25 kilometers away, and people say you're crazy. The traffic, the things. Two months and a half after that, they say. Jesus, I've been in my apartment for two months and I wish I was there where you are yeah. and out right. there, you know? Right. Many things. I mean, we never thought in the university. Our university started as a medical school 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And everybody was like, oh, okay, these other faculties like architecture, right. like law, right. like arts and all that. Now, I mean, before the medical school supported all that. Right. And now all of these small, I would say, new faculties are supporting medical school. Everything yeah. is up. Yeah. Completely backwards. On that note, Carlos, thank you so much for taking a bit of time with us. We'll be in <laughs> okay. touch soon, and we will absolutely sure. make sure we find, like, so once we're allowed to travel again, uh, we will find, I I'm will. sure, at, at a meeting together, and we'll catch up and tell stories like we did. I will. I, I look forward <laughs> to meeting you again and uh, have all this conversation with the wine in our hands. Done. <laughs> Thanks so much, Carlos. <laughs> Cheers.